welcome back on Sunday night. Just so you on the floor know, there's a bunch of people in the roost up there. I didn't know there weren't many in the balcony, but good to see you all up there. Uh, good to see a good crowd back tonight. Uh, you've probably noticed over the last two Sundays, two and a half, that we've been on the topic of sin. Um, pretty uncomfortable, isn't it? Um, I'm going to wrap it up tonight with a complimentary passage from Romans that really tags on to what we talked about this morning and really to bring it to a conclusion uh, and then we'll get on something maybe a little more uh, easy, easy on our hearts and souls a little bit. Uh, but this evening we're going to be in Romans chapter 6, verse 14. And I want to really wrap up our thoughts over the last couple of weeks about sin and obedience with the topic of freedom from sin. Freedom. Now we, we in the Western Hemisphere, particularly here in the United States in our culture, we like freedom. It's in our national anthem. It's uh, we're you know the home of the brave, land of the free kind of thing. Um, I'm pretty fond of freedom myself. Uh, spent a large portion of my life, over 20 years, standing on the proverbial wall, if you will, defending the freedom and uh, going around the world and being parts of conflict around the world uh, to preserve that freedom. And I will say, in that venue. I, I worry a little bit for our younger generation who, have, who has never uh, known the sacrifices that it takes to defend freedom in the way of life that we live uh, and what it costs people. I mean, there are men and women who have given their lives so that we have the freedom to sit here tonight in this place free of persecution and preach God's word and, and that we have the freedoms that we have in our nation that another nation doesn't rule over us and that God has blessed us that way. And so freedom is, is important. Freedom is, is great to talk about and enjoy in this life, but a person is never really free until they deal with the sin issue in their life. A person is never really free until they deal with their lostness in a relationship with Jesus Christ and be saved. And so in this passage, the Apostle Paul uh, really compliments what he said to the church in Colossae that we looked at this morning, this morning, he said, put off the old man and put on the new, and gave us some specific examples of how to do that. Very awesome passage. Here, he's not just saying, take off the old man and put on the new. He's saying that in sin, we're enslaved. And when we come to Christ, we're set free from being enslaved to sin, from being under the bondage of sin. And before we read the passage, let me just set it for you in your mind so that you understand we are enslaved to sin in a couple of ways. You enter two broad categories that I put them under. Uh, I created this, so if you don't agree with it, that's okay. I think there are two broad categories that we can put being enslaved to sin under, and one of them is habit or lifestyle. We can become enslaved to sin by just doing sinful things because you know sin is addictive, isn't it? it becomes addictive in a hurry. In other words, when we allow sin in our lives, uh, it's easy to keep sinning. Let me give you two illustrations. After this morning, I was speaking with someone, and I said, lying comes easy to people. It comes easy to us to not tell the truth. It comes easy. One of the first sins in the universe, lying and deception. The first time we tell an untruth, we're convicted about it. We feel bad about it. We feel bad about deceiving. We feel bad about not saying the truth. We have a conviction about it. 
But have you ever noticed that one lie requires another lie to cover up the first lie? And when you begin to go down that rabbit trail, uh, pretty soon lying becomes second nature. I know a person right now that when that person opens their mouth to say something, I don't believe any of it. Now, it's sad to come to that, isn't it? You know why I am that way with that person? Because everything they've ever said to me has been a lie. They don't do what they say. They don't, they don't follow through with what they say. Their promises mean nothing because they're lies. Abraham Lincoln once said, if I tell the truth, I don't have to remember what I said. You get that? If I tell the truth, I don't have to remember what I said because when you lie, you have to remember what you said so as not to contradict yourself, right? Or, or to give away the lie. So lying is a good example of how sin becomes uh, habitual. Another one is what we talked about this morning, all those lists that Paul gave us there in Colossians chapter 3, all the moral failures and the social sins and stuff. The fact is, if we allow those sins, if we don't do what he recommended this morning, put off the old man, put on the new man, it's easy to get comfortable with those things. Uh, you know, a man or woman goes on a business trip and they have an affair. They're going to come back if it's the first time and they're going to be ashamed. They're going to have guilt. They're going to have depression. They're going to have all kinds of emotional problems. You know why it is? Because when we break God's laws, it affects us. But if they keep doing it, if they keep being unfaithful or keep compromising themselves in the sin that they're in, pretty soon they're not going to have a conviction about it. It's just going to become part of their life. And so sin is habitual. And Paul says here in chapter 6 of Romans, we as children of God don't have to allow that to happen to us. We're set free from that. We don't have to do that. Second area where I believe people get entrapped in sin habitually and are under bondage is in religion. Religion. You say, well, how is that a sin? Because everything that's not Jesus is wrong. Amen. Period. Everything that's not being saved by faith in Jesus Christ is wrong. You can say that's exclusive. Well, God's exclusive. There's only one of him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's only one way to be saved, and Jesus said, I'm it. Okay? So there's no other way. But I believe people get trapped in sin of religion. They think they're okay. They think their way's all right. They're trying to earn their way to heaven. And by the way, talk about habits. A person who gets into a religious trap of sin, do they think they're earning their way to heaven? What a discouraging cycle that is. Right? I do good for a while, and then I fall off the wagon. And I do good for a while, and I fall off the wagon, and you think, man, this is hard. Religion is impossible. Jesus is very possible. Okay? Jesus is very available. So people get trapped in religion. And listen, I wrote this down in my notes. Satan is more than happy for a person to think they're all good all the way to hell. He's more than happy to let you do that. He's more than happy for us to be religious and be trapped in that religion and trapped in our legalism and trapped in thinking that we're okay. I cannot tell you how many people I have shared the gospel with in my life. And you know what their answer to me is? God and I have an agreement. We're okay. I had a guy tell me one time, yeah, I've got this understanding with the man upstairs. I said, number one, he ain't the man upstairs. And number two, the only agreement you can have with him is in Jesus. Do you have that agreement? And if not, you need to get saved. Well, he don't talk to me no more after that. The point is, people get trapped in that, don't they? 
and you can't get them out of it. And Satan's happy with it. That's a trap of sin. And what Paul says in this passage is you don't have to be trapped in that. And in fact, when we get saved, listen to this. This is good. When we get saved, we are set free from that nonsense. We're set free from having to be under the dominion of sin. We're set free from the false promises of religion. And when you meet Jesus, you know you got the real thing. When you meet Jesus and you get the relationship and the Holy Spirit, you know you got the real thing. And that's what Paul talks about to the Romans here. Now remember, he's writing to Christians. He's writing to save people in Rome. So look at verse 14 and let's pick it up there. Freedom in Jesus. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. I like the shall not part. How about you? That's definitive. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Okay? I like that. This is not a declaration that we're going to be sinless in this life. So let's just get that out there right away. This is not a declaration that tomorrow morning when you get up and the lady blocks the drive, the person drops, blocks the drive through. <laughs> This is not a promise that Thumos isn't going isn't to rise up in you. I'll try not to, I didn't say she was a lady this morning, but <laughs> we'll see you come back on Sunday night and you get on the inside of things, don't you? <laughs> it's not a promise that you aren't going to deal with those things tomorrow, but what the promise is that it won't rule you. It doesn't have to rule you in the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the promise that as we go through this life, it's a daily exercise of dominion and, and victory in Jesus Christ. Listen. We don't have to live defeated as Christians. We don't have to walk around long face and, oh my goodness, life is so hard. You have victory in Jesus, present possession. You have eternal life in Jesus Christ. You have all the promises of heaven in Jesus Christ right now. Now, we haven't fully recognized them all yet because Jesus hadn't come back and given us our resurrection body and taken us to heaven yet. But you have all that stuff as a, as a present possession in life. And let me explain why Paul would say you, you're set free here for sin shall not have dominion over you for you're not under law, you're under grace. Let me, let me help you understand what he's saying here. When we were lost, before we were saved, we were absolutely under the law. Not in the way you think. We were under the condemnation of the law. We were under the accountability of the law. We were guilty of having trespassed the law. So we were absolutely under the law. And what are the wages of sin? What's the penalty for breaking the law? Death, that's right. And so while we were lost, we were absolutely enslaved under the law. We were absolutely in bondage under the law because we and our flesh couldn't do anything but live to try to make the flesh happy. And how did that work out when you look back at it? Not real good, okay? Because it's like a carrot on a stick. You think it's going to be so great, and you get into sin, and it ends up being a disaster. That's Satan's tactic to lead people into sin, to entrap them in sin, and then destroy their lives, destroy their homes, their marriages, their relationships, and even their health. Isn't it funny how when you're lost, you can't see it? But when we got saved, what happened? Jesus took us out from under the law because the moment we got saved, he forgave all our sins. Past, present, future, gone. Romans 8, 1, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we're not under the law anymore. Not only did he forgive our sins and, and, and give us righteousness. By the way, Sunday night scholars, think about this. Do you know what the real rub is with man's relationship with God? It's sin. Unrighteousness. God is righteous and holy to agree we can't comprehend. And our sinfulness, our unrighteousness keeps us from having any kind of relationship with him. 
But the moment we get saved, he delivers us from under the bondage of the law and lays on us the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, which makes us perfectly suited for heaven and perfectly suited to have a relationship with him. So we're taken from under the law and set free from it because it will put us in bondage and we're given the grace, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, what about the Christian life? What does that mean to living? What's Paul's point here? Well, here it is. Everything about the law is external. Listen to me very carefully here. Everything about the law is external. It's external pressure to conform, right? Because when we were lost, we didn't measure up. We sinned, we broke God's laws, we, we did everything but what God said, okay? And we live for ourselves, idolatry, we made ourselves our own God, that's secular humanism. Uh, we justified things God said are wrong. And so we were guilty of that whole lost process under the law. The reason you can't be saved by works, the reason nobody can be saved by works is no matter how much external pressure you put on somebody, you can't make them conform to righteousness because the flesh rebels. And the sin, the sin and the law, they kind of go together because we break the law and it's sin. And Paul said we wouldn't need, listen, if Paul said if we could keep the law, if we could have obeyed the law, Jesus wouldn't have had to come die for us. But we can't keep the law. And the law proves that. You say, well, why in the world did God give us the law? So we would know just how lost we are. That's why. When you look at God's standards and you go, wow, I'm missing that by a mile. God goes, yes, you are. And so here's my son. That's the law and here's grace. The law has all this external pressure. Do you know why people who play religion can't do it? Because it's frustrating. It's hard. It's difficult to play righteous when we're not. It's difficult to play church when we really don't know the Savior. It's difficult to not say the wrong thing, to not do the wrong thing. The pressure's all external. Now watch this. That's bondage in the nth degree. But what happens when you meet Jesus? When you got saved, you went from the bondage of the law, from being under sin and the law, to grace. Now let me tell you what you got when you got grace. It went from being external pressure to an internal change. The motive under the law is pressure. Conform. Don't do this. Don't do that. Put the list on your refrigerator. Don't say this. Don't do that. Make sure you go to church enough times. Make sure you do this. Make sure you do that. When you got saved, Jesus went from being your judge to being your savior. Amen. He went from being the one from whom you were separated from to being your brother and your best friend, to being your God, your Lord, to having a relationship with him. You went from the law, which was all judgment, to the greatest love you've ever known in a savior, Jesus Christ. And here's the part for the Christian life. You went from external pressure that you could not do to an internal change and the power of the Holy Spirit, which enables you to do all things. Here's the key. It changed your motive. It changed your motive. It changed my motive. Listen to how James Denny, a theologian, said it, and I quote, It's not restraint, but inspiration which liberates from sin. It's not Mount Sinai, but Mount Calvary, which makes saints. And here's what he was saying. When we get saved, we no longer fear God. We don't have to fear him because he saved us. He loved us. 
The motivation now for the way we live should be this. I want to reciprocate the love that God's extended to me. I am motivated now to live a life that honors him for what he's done for me. It is a reciprocating love, and the only way, listen, the only way you can get that kind of motive on the inside is you got to know Jesus. you got to get saved because lost people don't have that kind of motivation. The Christian life being brought from under sin, from under the dominion of sin, being set free and brought into grace is the greatest liberation any human being can know. Now, there's still one problem, and you say, Pastor, I love God. I love Jesus. I'm so thankful for being saved. But tomorrow I'll, I'll blow it. Okay. Probably will. But there is an enabler, and his name's the Holy Spirit. And he lives in you. When you got saved, he lives in you now. The Holy Spirit is the one who can give us the practical victory over sin. He's the one who can help us put off the old man. This is what we didn't have time to get into this morning. He's the one that actually enables us to live the victorious life. Not perfect, but listen to me. Sin should not be the habit of our lives. It should not be the norm. It should be the exception. If sin is the norm in the Christian life, then we're doing it wrong. We're not putting off the old man. We're not relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who helps us put off the old man. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who helps us put on the new man. And what I mean by that is living practicality. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who empowers us not to lose our temper, not to say the wrong thing, not to react wrong, not to look at the wrong thing, not to be drawn to a sin, not to lust. All of those things Paul talked about this morning, it is God, the Holy Spirit, that enables us to do that. But we have to be willing for him to help us do that. We have to surrender. Before I talk about free grace, let me talk about this real quick. You know where most Christians get hung up? Because I've been there. You go, Lord, deliver me from this whatever. You pick whichever sin eats your lunch, okay? God, deliver me from this thing. And everybody in here has got a sin that eats your lunch. If you let it, it'll eat your lunch. Makes you mad when it eats your lunch, doesn't it? Most Christians will say, God, deliver me from this sin that's going to eat my lunch, and then we stand next to the thing. God, deliver me from this thing that's going to really disaster, tear up my life today, and then we stand there next to it like we got good sense. Don't stand there next to it, okay? When we ask God to deliver us from a sin, get away from it. That's the putting off the old man and putting on the new. Put up what, listen, put up whatever walls you need to get you away from the thing, whatever it is. If it's lying, just don't talk so much. <laughs> just go, Lord. I mean, I'm just picking lying. I mean, if it's lying, just shut up. Go, Lord, I'm not, talk I'm not saying anything unless you move me to talk and it'd be right. I'm not saying anything. I don't know, but pick one. You know, if it's thinking wrong, if it's looking at things wrong or lusting or something, I don't know. Don't get on, turn off the computer, whatever. Whatever it takes, we have to agree with the Holy Spirit and go, Lord, God, I don't, I don't want to do those things. I don't want to offend you. I love you. My motive on the inside is to, is to honor you with my life and be a witness for you in life. And God, these things, these things are wrong and they offend you and I don't want to do them. 
but I don't know how to handle it. And the Holy Spirit, when we have that kind of attitude, the Holy Spirit steps up and goes, yeah, I can help you with that. I can help you take care of all that stuff. The problem is most Christians aren't willing to say, listen, most Christians aren't willing to say, God, that's a problem. I want to get rid of it. You know why? Because they like it. The flesh likes it. The old man likes it. And we hang on to it. God said, get rid of it. Now, verse 15, Paul deals with something that I've seen in life. Notice what he says. What then? Here's a question mark. Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not, or God forbid in the King James. What is Paul saying there? It's a rhetorical question. What's he saying? He's saying there'll be somebody who will come along and go, okay, you Christians, okay, Brother Paul, you said that when I trusted Jesus, all my sin was forgiven past, present, and future, and that I'm not under any condemnation forever for my sin, so let's just have a party. Free for all because God saved me and now I can do whatever I want because I'm not under judgment. Do you see a problem with that? There's a big problem with that. And that's why Paul said, is this something we're doing? He says, certainly not, God forbid. This describes antinomianism. Nomos is law, anti is against. It means a person says, well, because I'm saved, then it's a license to sin. It is not a license to sin. Why? Because when you get saved, you become a new creation in Christ, and you don't like sin any more than God does. That's why. And you don't want to sin. And you don't want to go down that lifestyle. I worked with a guy in the Navy. Worked with a lot of guys in the Navy. This dude was, this dude was good looking. He was young, rode a motorcycle. He had that Tom Cruise thing going on. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm not, I mean, really, he did. He was single. He was a lieutenant. Back then, he was a lieutenant. We made good money. I was an officer. He's an officer. Rode his motorcycle. Cool guy. I think I told you the story before. Women would send him flowers at work. I ain't kidding. They show up at the ship, bring flowers on. This is for lieutenant so-and-so. I'm like, Really? They sent him flowers. This dude tells me he's a Christian one day. Well, I knew how he was living because he'd brag about it. I said, man, we need to have a conversation. Come here. He said, well, he said this. The reason I'm telling the story, he said this. He goes, well, you know, the Bible says if I prayed and asked Jesus to save me, I'm saved and I can't ever lose my salvation. And so I do whatever I want. I'm not going to, I'm not going to die and go to hell. I said, if that's your view, you never got it in the first place. I said, if that's what you think, if that's what you think God is a genie in the bottle, that you can just go to God and say, hey, save me and give me a license, do whatever I want to do, you don't know the Jesus that I know. And you don't know the God that I know because you wouldn't do that, okay? And so Paul says here, this is no, this free grace thing is free, but it's no uh, a license to sin. Why? Because it's a reciprocation of love. And a person who would take advantage of it doesn't really love God and doesn't really love the Lord for saving them, okay? Now, in verse 16, he talks about who's, your, who's the master of your life. Notice what he says in verse 16. Do you not know, following verse 15, now notice what he's saying, do you not know that to whom you present yourself slaves to obey... You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. Here's an interesting 
biblical concept. Back to the beginning of the message, we like to tout our freedom and our autonomy. Let me chop a block out of that and bring us down to earth. We all serve somebody. Let us sink in for a minute. We all serve somebody. We either serve the flesh and the world, or we serve God. There's nobody else. Paul just listed it right here. To whom you obey, to whom you are a slave and obey, that's whom you serve. Whether it be sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. There's only two. And to, and to live for sin and yield ourselves to sin, as Paul says of the person who says it's a license, I can do whatever I want, is to lead to death. Why? Because that person never been saved. I'll tell you another thing about sin. When you get a little older, you can see these things looking back. Sin destroys people. I mean, destroys their lives. Cuts their lives short. They die early, i.e. my older brother. He didn't have to die when he died. He was in his mid-50s. I about lived him now. He was a healthy young man, but he got into drugs, got into alcohol, got into partying, got into doing all kinds of stuff, and it killed him. And again, Satan just delights in destroying lives. He's, he's a, a thief. He's come to kill and steal and destroy, and that's what he does. So people, people who choose sin and choose to live under the old man or live under sin or remain in their lostness, it is to death, sometimes physical death, and certainly of the soul if a person dies without Christ. But then he said, if we yield to Jesus, confess our sin, turn and believe, it is under righteousness. Remember a couple of weeks, the message about the big gate and the wide road and the little gate and the narrow road, and one leads to death and destruction and one leads to eternal life? That's exactly what Paul's saying right here. And we're serving on one of those two paths. We have autonomy to choose between the two, but you cannot tonight, online or here, say, I'm not serving either one. Because by default, you're serving one. You're serving one or the other. So that's it. And Jesus had something to say about that, didn't he? Jesus said in Matthew 6, you can only have one master. You can only serve one Lord. He said it's either the world or it's him. Now I'll tell you, a weakness in the church today, again, Sunday night, this is my view from the Bible, we take it or leave it. You know what the greatest weakness is in the, in the church today in the 21st century? We're trying to be too much like the world. We're trying to hold hands with the world and hold hands with Jesus, and we cannot. You have to draw, listen, we have to draw a line in the sand where God drew the line. We are not allowed to move it. We don't have the authority to move it. We have to say, this is what God said, and that's where I stand. And the world is more and more going to hate that, but that's what we have to do. We have to choose who we're going to serve. Are we going to serve Jesus or are we going to serve the world? Are we going to serve Jesus or are we going to serve ourselves? And here's the deal. You have to choose. If you're here tonight, you've never been saved. If you're watching online, you've never been saved. You have to choose. You say, well, I'm not sure I'm choosing. I'm not choosing Jesus now. Then you are by default choosing. If you reject Jesus, you choose the other. There's only two. If you don't go on the left road, you're going on the right one. If you don't go on the right road, you're going on the left one. There's only two, okay? You're either going on the narrow way or you're going on the, on the broad way. And so Paul said uh, it's a cognitive decision. And that a person who chooses to live as if they can live, and they say they're saved, they're not. They're on their way to destruction. Now, I want to finish with this. <clears throat> he addresses the Roman believers 
directly because they're saved. Notice what he says in verses 17 and 18. The but draws a contrast between this person who would say they're saved and they can do whatever they want. But God be thanked, verse 17, that though you were slaves to sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Well, Paul commends them here. He says, you guys used to be enslaved to sin, and it was evident in your lifestyle. And it was evident in the way you lived, and it was evident that you didn't know. But you have obeyed from the heart, which is the key here. He said, you heard the gospel, this doctrine that we brought to you. And, the, and Paul didn't start this church in Rome, listen to me. He planted a lot of churches, but he didn't plant this one. You know what planted this church? The gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody took the gospel there and some people got saved and they started a church. And so Paul says, hey, you got saved because you heard the gospel and you trusted from the heart and now you knew. And now you're, you're free from sin. You've been set free from the bondage of sin and you've become pursuing righteousness. And so Paul commends them for obeying from the heart. Now what are some evidences of having been saved? What, are, what is some evidence? And I'm going to close with this. We'll get out a few minutes early. That never happens, but we will tonight. And it might not if I get going again, but let's think about it. What are some evidences of this thing? Okay, I've been saved from being under the slave of sin, and now I'm, now I'm a servant to Jesus Christ. And let me say this. Being a servant to Jesus Christ, is, or being a slave to Jesus, is not like being a slave to sin. Paul called himself a doulos. Doulos is a word for slavery. It means the lowest, the bottom rower in the Roman ship. It means the guy on the bottom with his feet in the water chain, rowing, hoping we don't sink, okay? That's a doulos. Paul said of himself, when it comes to Jesus, I'm the least of the least, and I'm serving, I'm rowing hard. Boy, that's the attitude of being saved, isn't it? Jesus, I don't care if I have to row on the bottom of the boat, but man, I'm rowing. Why? Because it's your boat. Okay, I'm a doulos. You know what the difference is? He's willing to be a doulos. He said, man, I want to be a doulos. I want to I be a servant of Jesus Christ. What are some of the evidences of that? Let me just give you a few very quickly. Number one, a person who gets saved, who is no longer a slave of sin, but has, but has come under grace, under Jesus Christ, and has become his doulos, there's a genuine change in their life. And you can see it. And people can see it. Now, it might not be major. They might not go from being lost, and a week later they're going to seminary. Okay, it might not happen. But they will begin, listen to me, man or woman, they'll begin to have some convictions over their life. And things in their life that didn't used to bother them will begin to bother them. I've had people who get saved in this church, they'll come to me a little while later and go, man, since I got saved, it's been like, my life's been a wreck. I thought you said this was great. It is. I didn't say it was going to be easy. It's just great to be saved. Why? Because the Holy Spirit starts picking on you. And I use that as a euphemism. The Holy Spirit starts meddling. And he starts messing in your life and the things you thought and did and all the stuff you did. He starts going, hey, you can't do that anymore. Don't take the preacher to tell you that. God, the Holy Spirit's telling you. And if you've been living the other way for a long time, it's hard. And so you start seeing some changes, convictions over sin, convictions over choices. I tell you, one of the surefire changes in a person that can say they have a new outlook on life. They see things different, a new biblical worldview, a new Jesus worldview. They don't see things the same anymore. One of the evidences of a person who really got saved, they want to be in church somewhere. You say, oh, that's old-fashioned. Okay, I'm old, so it's old-fashioned. 
if you get saved and you have a relationship with Jesus, you want to have a relationship with the people that love Jesus. And you want to have a relationship with his church. People who get saved like to come to church. I've told you the story a bunch of times. Go down here to Home Depot. When you meet people and they say, what are you doing? You go, I'm a Baptist preacher. The whole conversation changes. <laughs> it really does. The way they were talking two seconds ago, they're not talking like that anymore. It's funny. I even told a guy one time, you don't have to stop talking like that. I've heard it before. I'm a retired sailor. He goes, oh, okay. <laughs> so you're not going to offend me. The guy said, the guy goes, so you're a Baptist? I said, yeah. He goes, is it true you guys go to church more than once a week? I said, most of us. He said, why would you do that? He said, well, Sunday morning ain't enough. Like you put a check in a block, right? I said, well, it depends on your view. I said, I love Jesus and I love the Bible. And I said, honest to goodness, if I didn't have to, like back then, you know, work and I said, if I didn't have to work, do other things, I go to church every day. I said, why? Because I like it. I like being around the people that love Jesus, and I like being around the church, and I like studying the Bible, and I like singing. I like church. And he goes, boy, that's weird. <laughs> I mean, he just told me, he goes, that's weird. These guys go to church all the time. Listen, change. When you go from being under sin, you get set free from sin, and you get uh, set free in grace in Jesus. The last thing I'm going to say, I'll close. Fruit. Spiritual fruit. Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13. You know it well. The sower and the seed. He said the sower went out to sow the seed. The sower is Jesus. The, the seed is the word, the gospel. And the seed fell on three different kinds of, of, of soil. It fell on the path, and it was hard, and the birds came and ate it, and it didn't do anything. And it fell in shallow soil and the rock underneath, and it grew up, and when the heat came up, it withered, and they went away. All indications of people who either heard the gospel and didn't respond or heard it, made a response, and weren't sincere, they didn't get saved. Then it fell in some ground that had a lot of thorns in it, and the thorns grew up and choked out the new little plant, and that's a person who hears the gospel, and they say, man, I need to get saved, but the cares of the world, they won't let go. They won't confess their sin and let go of their sin. They want their sin more than they want God, and so it chokes it out. But what was the last kind of soil that it fell in? good soil. And he said, man, it sprung up in good soil. The good soil is the heart prepared by God. Here's the gospel, it's received, and it springs up, and the person gets saved. And then I like this part. Then Jesus said, and out of the good soil it brought forth a hundredfold, and sixtyfold, and thirtyfold. That's a whole sermon, but I'll cut it short. Listen. Every person who gets saved is going to have some kind of spiritual fruit, some kind of evidence that God's producing in them spiritual stuff. Some's a hundredfold. We got the famous evangelist who's leading thousands of people to Jesus. He's, the, he's man, he got saved or she got saved, and there's, they're doing great things for God. You got the 60-fold. Then you got the 30. But you want to know what the good news is? The 30 receives the same commendation from Jesus as the 100 when you get to heaven. Well done, good and faithful servant. Doesn't matter if you were a 30-fold or a 100. Here's the key. If you're really saved and you've been set free from sin, there'll be some fruit in your life. There'll be some fruit in your life. There'll be something that indicates, hey, God's working in there. Holy Spirit's working in there. Man, that's just good stuff. If you're here and you're not saved...
you say, boy, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I've been religious and I'm trapped in this religion thing, Jesus will set you free. Jesus will set you free from the trap of religion. He'll give you grace and you'll really be saved. Maybe you're trapped in sin. You say, man, my life is a wreck and I'm, man, I'm on this thing. I'm treadmill, man. I'm trying to be saved. I'm trying to be a Christian and I just can't get there. You will never get there. Let Jesus pick you up and put you where you need to be. The grace of God. If you need to be saved tonight, would you pray to receive Christ now? Would you confess your sin right where you sit? God, I'm a sinner. I deserve judgment, but I want grace. God, forgive me and save me. He'll save your soul right now if you'll ask him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the freedom we have in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you set us free from the tyranny of sin in our lives, God, the, the confusion and the destruction that it brings, the hurt that it brings, the harm, the death. Lord, you set us free and give us life and righteousness and place us in your family, Lord, and give us a purpose in life and hope for a future. Father, maybe there's somebody here tonight who's lost and they've never been saved, young person, maybe a teenager, a boy or girl, an adult, Lord, right now in their seat, God, in the quietness of this moment, they can pray to you and say, God, I've been religious and I've always thought I was saved, but Lord, I don't really see any evidence in my life, God, that anything's ever changed. The same sins are there and the same things are in my life. God, forgive me, set me free. God, save my soul tonight. Lord, bless those who are in need tonight in any way. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing. If I can help you, if you want to join the church, present yourself for baptism. If you pray to receive Christ, come tell me so I can pray with you. You come on the first verse. I have decided to follow Jesus. Thank you for coming tonight. Do you have an announcement? Yes, I need some of you youngins upstairs uh, to come uh, help us on the stage. We're just taking our choir chairs off and putting them in my office for the week to get ready for VBS. So if I can have about five to seven helpers, especially all you young people on that back row, that'd be perfect because y'all <laughs> did it last time. Great. Remember, Wednesday night, because all the rooms are going to be set up, we're going to have Bible study in here. Now, don't skip Wednesday night just because you're not going to be in your classroom. Come in here, and let's do Bible study for an hour, okay? We'll be right here, so uh, put that on your calendar and come. And then the next week, there won't be any midweek because there'll be 300-plus kids screaming and running around here. Okay, so you probably don't want to have Bible study that night. But uh, pray for them that, that those children will get saved, that, that a great work will be done in their lives, okay? Thank you, Father, for today, for the goodness of being together in the body of Christ, Lord, for your people. God bless us in this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.